Good afternoon from me, Andy Sylvester, the editor here at City AM for the City View podcast, your daily evening commute hit of business news. Plenty of it about today. Most of the focus, it has to be said, on the economy with some extraordinarily interesting GDP figures out earlier today. Jack Barnett, our economics and markets correspondent, who is, of course, on the programme quite a lot, will be here to talk about those in a bit and what it might mean for the future of the UK economy. But plenty of corporate news around two today, starting with BT confirming its new sports joint venture with Warner Brothers Discovery. The firm will, after media speculation, join a 50-50 venture with the US media giant, which will bring together BT Sports and Eurosport under one umbrella. And BT's push into football, of course, started way back in 2012. It caught Champions League matches and Europa League matches from Sky. It's been a big driver for them of broadband subscriptions. But the company has, for an awfully long time, been thinking that it was better to focus on its core objectives. And frankly, broadcasting Champions League games isn't amongst those. Terms of the deal were undisclosed. Elsewhere, MPs today call for a crackdown on dirty money as they argued city bosses should face jail if they fail to prevent illicit cash from flowing through the UK's financial system. In launching an economic crime manifesto, the cross-party MPs to the UK and its overseas territories have played a key role in enabling kleptocrats worldwide, including those propping up the Kremlin. As they said, the UK needs smarter regulations to tackle money laundering. Labour MP and former committee chair Margaret Hodge said that London is now the law Laundromat for washing dirty cash. A tad of oversimplification, Dame Margaret, but we'll let you off. She argued a lack of proper enforcement has seen the UK become the jurisdiction of choice for dirty money. Elsewhere, Volkswagen has announced it will build some 800,000 electric vehicles worldwide by the end of the year as it continues upon its environmental and financial strategy. Head of sales Hildegard Vortman said today that EU car sales will increase uh, despite total deliveries falling because of macroeconomic and geopolitical issues. Of course, COVID-induced shortages being a key part of that. At home, JD Sports, the retailers announced an increase in sales but said it also remained aware of market volatility and possible headwinds looming ahead. Uh, forecasts remain as they were, uh, JD saying, conscious of the headwinds that prevail at the time, including the geopolitical situation. Of course, supply chains a bit of a mess for many retailers right now um, as a result of the zero COVID policy in China, gumming up those ports in East Asia um, and dragging out the length of time. It simply takes items to get from one side of the world to the other elsewhere. There's really good news from Superdry. Granger, the landlord, has set aside more money for cladding remediation and, of course, the economic figures. I'm joined by Jack Barnett, our economics and markets correspondent here at City AM. GDP figures, when they pop out at 7am in the morning, um, always poured over by economists, always forecasted by economists. Um, somehow or other, this morning's managed to be even glummer than we thought. Yeah, very much so. So um, we had fresh figures from the ONS this morning um, measuring the economy's performance on a monthly basis. Uh, and on a quarterly basis, and depending on how which of those figures you look at, um, probably depends on how far you spat out your cornflakes this morning. Um, so on the monthly basis, uh, the economy actually shrank 0.1% uh, in March. That was below forecast. Most people were expecting it to be unchanged. Um, worryingly, the ONS also downgraded their February measures for the economy's performance, um, 0.1 percentage points to unchanged. Um, which means that all the growth that we had in the first quarter of this year, which was 0.8%, which was also below expectation, was all concentrated in January, mainly driven by um, Omicron restrictions ending, people going back out, et cetera, et cetera, and spending money. Um, 
looking into the weeds of those figures, um, there is some quite worrying signs of consumers already starting to pull back um, ahead of the cost of living squeeze getting even tighter. So we had um, a 2.8% drop in retail sales. We had an over 15% drop in um, car repairs, which um, amounted to a 0.2% drop in the services sector output, which is a really big um, growth engine for the UK economy. Mm. So it's it's already looking quite bleak and it's probably going to get worse in the coming months. Yeah, I guess that's... We'll we'll come on to some comments um, in a bit um, about what that might mean for rate rises going forward. But um, just staying on the on the GDP figures for now, I do an LBC slot every day, 7.25, and Ian Dale continually tells me that I am the, you know, never confused with a ray of sunshine because I seem always to have bad news. But it, it is hard to shake it when you look at those figures. You know, there is no obvious reason that things will turn around. If people are already tightening the belts, it's not as if the summer is suddenly going to... Um, change their mind. I guess the only possible thing you could look at where you'd say, well, if you're spending less on energy, maybe that means you might go out again. But mm-hmm. that's really, you know, it's around the margin stuff, isn't it? Yeah, very much so. And also, the, the, you know, again, to paint an even worse picture is that, you know, the figures this morning were, were just covering March. So they didn't account for the national insurance hike that we're currently experiencing in the moment. Um, that's going to add to the squeeze on households. Bear in mind the, the 54% uplift in the in the energy price gap also came in mm. in April as well. So all the cost of living pressures that people have been reporting about in the last couple of weeks or so, particularly um, since the bank put out those very gloomy projections last week, aren't even accounted for in the figures from the ONS today. So you could imagine April's print and probably May's print is going to trend downwards as well as a result of consumption being um, a lot weaker than we had in the first quarter of this year. So are we thinking then that potentially Q2, I mean, are you other economists thinking that potentially Q2 could be our first negative growth quarter? Yes. So uh, quite a few analysts off the back of today um, were projecting that. So we had um, Pantheon macro who are quite a big city forecaster they're penciling in a contraction in the second quarter as our capital economics um and then the um the forecast that we had out from yesterday um for the national institute um of economics and social research the people who said that um we were having we're going to have about two hundred fifty thousand mm. more people in institution this year if there's no more support they have now said that the weaker gdp print for march is actually raising the prospects of their forecast for recession in the back end of this year to actually come a lot sooner yeah yeah and i guess the problem for that is you know the sooner it starts it sounds obvious but the sooner it starts you would think the sooner it ends but actually when you look at energy prices when you look at inflation actually there's no obvious sign it's cyclical in a sense but energy prices are going to stay high for a long time and Mm. if that's driving so much of the inflationary pressure if that's driving so much the uncertainty um we could be in one for the long haul i suppose yeah, very much so. Um, and it's you know it goes back to this this point of like of, of of where the inflation shock is being sourced from. So it's coming from you know it is a supply side shock. The demand is obviously quite high in the economy as a result of people um, still spending money after lockdowns, but may, may mainly been driven by a shortage um, of energy or concerns about a shortage of energy as the result of the Russian uh, Ukraine mm. war. And it's very difficult to boost supply of. Um, energy and commodities quickly because it just it just takes a long time to get that production online. So you can't imagine that the price pressures we're, we're feeling now are going to ease anytime soon. For sure. No, yeah, it's um, 
It's a bleak picture. Sorry, everybody, on a Thursday afternoon or a Friday morning, whenever you're listening to this. I promise you, the weekend is almost here. Um, go out and spend some money. It's your patriotic duty. Um, let's talk quickly about rates because mm. some interesting comments today from someone usually worth listening to. Yeah, so we had um, so Dave Ransom, who's a, a member of um, the Rate Assessing Committee at the Bank of England, um, essentially warning that more rate hikes are very much on the way this year. Um, the bank has has raised rates from a record low of 0.1% um, to 1%, which is a 13-year high in the space of six months or so in response to what we're now getting as a you know a sort of historic in- inflation spike at the moment. Mm. Running at 7% is only going to trend higher. Um, the, you know, the bank, the bank of England is not on its own here. It's, it's also the Fed and the ECB are now facing this really tricky trade-off of how quickly do they go to um, tame inflation without adding more headwinds and more despair to the economy. I think what they're very conscious of doing is delivering unnecessary damage and scarring to their economies by almost going too quickly on rate rises mm. when they're expecting... You know, inflation will naturally bring will naturally come down anyway as people start to respond to higher prices by renting and spending. That should call yeah. demand, then prices should go lower. I think what the bank is is wary of doing is going, well, we need to really, really um, hike rates now, and then actually, if that delivers a weaker economy in the future, where mm. if, if they left rates a little bit lower, it might it might actually. Um, protect the economy from some of the headwinds it's facing. At the well, moment. yeah, I mean, that goes back to the question that you asked Andrew Bailey last week, I think, um, which was dodged with with more sort of skill and dexterousness than you might expect of a regulator turned governor. Um, yeah, the question is, how much headroom does the bank have? How mm. much headroom does the bank have to raise rates to try and dampen inflation um, without just putting the boot into the British economy? And, and weakening it in the in the long in the medium to long term. Um, despite all of this, should be pointed out that Boris Johnson this morning said he was encouraged by the economic figures, which suggests to me that possibly he was looking at them upside down or something. Um, because there there is there are, there are very few chunks of light. I think, as you say, it's that demand destruction through inflation. Inflation probably the seeds of it the seeds of its demise are actually within it itself. But it is simply a matter of a matter of time and, and frankly global energy markets well and truly outside of political control perhaps um, Jared, let's leave it there for now um, I think we've taken everybody to tears already so I'll let them leave <laughs> and, and listen to some music or listen to an audio book or something um, more cheery um, thanks Jack as ever and that's all from us at the City View podcast on this Thursday evening last from me this week you'll be joined tomorrow by Nathan Silva and Charlie Conchie for our weekly tech special 